0: So, we are in this uh, series called Rattle. And in week one, just two weeks ago, we looked at uh, Ezekiel 37 and the valley of the dry bones and talked about how God is putting things uh, back together. And today, um, I feel like I'm kind of speaking to that valley of, of dry bones, and I'm waiting for God uh, to do something uh, amazing. Uh, A few years ago, I remember I went to uh, my first St. Louis Blues uh, hockey game. Now, I'm not a hockey fan, but I had a friend that said, hey, man, you've got to come to this game with us. You're going to love it. And so I went to the game, and and I sat there for three and a half hours, and I left, and I was heartbroken because I will never get those three and a half hours of my life back. It was an an awful experience for me. Some people say, Oh, hockey's great. It's fun to watch. It was the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, I remember the first time I ever binge watched a uh, a television series, and now it's common now. Uh, Like, most of you have been watched The Tiger King um, because of quarantine. Like, that guy would have never even been known had it not been for the quarantine. Um, But the first uh, season, series I've ever binge watched was called Lost. And I remember someone said, hey, man, you've got to watch this show. Like, like you have to. And so, so he brought the DVD set over. It was before Netflix, it was before Hulu, any of those things. And, um, and I put the DVD in and I watched the first season. And I stayed up till like 3 o'clock in the morning, knowing that I had to be up till 6, thinking, man, I can get one more episode in. And I watched the second season and I kept watching. And I got to the last episode of the last season and I cried. And I cried not because it was good, but because, again, I looked back and like, I will never get that time in my life back. It was, it was awful to me. And the reason I bring that up is because some of us feel that way when it comes to life. Like if someone would have asked you 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago where you're going to be in 2020, like you're not where you thought you were. In fact, you're well short of it. You're not doing what you thought you would be doing. Maybe you're not even with who you thought you would be with. Maybe things have turned upside down, and you're looking at the condition of your life saying, I expected more. Things shouldn't be like this. There has to be something more. I need to have something to look forward to in life because right now I just don't have it. And if that's you today, I feel that this message is just for us. And notice I said us because it's exactly what we need. And let me set it up this way. If you're a Bible person, you've heard the name Elijah. Now, Elijah was an Old Testament prophet, um, and he did some pretty powerful miracles. He made some headline-worthy prophecies. In fact, he had 14 miracles and prophecies. Scholars have have studied it, and and that's the number they came up with for for Elijah's ministry. He had 14 miracles and prophecies. And someone said to me, hey, that's not that much. I thought, well, how many do you got? The 14. So he did 14 miracles. One of those miracles was that he called down fire from heaven and just scorched the earth. Like, I wish I could do that when I'm driving to St. Louis. But he had 14 miracles and prophecies, and he's getting ready to die. So he asks Elisha, who is, who is his protege, it's the, kind of the prophet in training, he's gonna hand his ministry off to him. And he asked Elisha, he said, hey, Elisha, what do you want God to do for you? And Elisha said, I want double your blessing. In other words, I wanna do twice as much as you've done. Like you did 14 miracles and prophecies, I want 28. And Elijah was like, hey, that's a big ask. Like that, that's big. But ultimately, God confirms that Elisha will do double what Elijah had done. So 14 doubled is 28. God promised Elisha 28 miracles and prophecies. Now, this isn't a trick question, and I want you to answer this wherever you're at. Like, how many miracles and prophecies did God promise Elisha? A double portion of 14. 14 doubled is 28. So 28. So Elisha goes through his life and through his ministry, and right after he does his 27th prophecy or miracle, like, he's at twenty-seven. And God had promised him 28. He has a little bit more left. There's one more, something to look forward to. And this is what the writer of 2 Kings tells us right after he does number 27. It's in 2 Kings 13, 20. It says this, then Elisha died and was buried. Dang. Like, that's awful. Like, you know you have one more left. You know there's something more If you're watching this on a movie, you're like, it can't happen that way. It can't end there. God promised him 28, but then he died. On the surface, this is over. And I love how how most Christians are trying to be well-meaning. They say, well, he didn't quite get there, but he got so close. Like, don't miss this. The greatest temptations for Christians today is to settle for less than what God has promised us. There's a huge temptation. Listen, if God said 28, we should never settle for 27. Settling is that thing that we're tempted to do because we don't think that God's gonna come through for us. Settling is is what the majority of us do all of the time. Like I remember when we hit our first week at over 1,000 views and and, in attendance in our online service and in in our in-person service. And now don't get me wrong, I love that all people are viewing online from, from all over the world. But we reached that goal when somebody said, well, uh, we reached our 1,000 people at KCC now. Like, and I was like, no, like that's not good enough. My goal was 1,000 people in person worship at KCC. And I don't know when that'll happen, but I'm not settling for just 1,000 clicks. Because I believe God wants us to be in community with each other, and I believe we need to be in community with each other. This whole pandemic thing may have set us back, but I believe God is setting us up for something so much more. Like, I don't settle when it comes to certain things. Food, for example. You know, I was at a steakhouse not too long ago and I ordered a steak. And I ordered it medium done. Like, I like there to be pink in there and juice running out. And if they bring it on a little bit on the rare side, that's okay. Like, I can handle that. But this guy brought out my steak and it was well done. I mean, like dried up shoe leather. I can't believe people eat a steak that way. And then they wanna cover it with A1 or country bobs or something. And and I'm like, why don't you just order a biscuit and put some country bobs on it? But I told the guy, hey, you need to take this back and get me a new one that's cooked right. Like I wasn't gonna settle. Because I knew that there was something better than what he had put in front of me. And for some of you that are watching today, listen to me, there is something better than what the world is putting in front of you right now. Like this, like Elisha, he died and was buried. I guess we got to settle for 27. Not if God said 28. We don't have to settle for anything less than God's best, period. So, with that in mind, let me ask you this question In what areas of your life are you most tempted to settle? And I want you to just think about that and feel the tension that I felt all week as I've been wrestling with this question. What area or areas of your life are you tempted to settle the most? And this is a big deal because God has called his children to do a lot of things, but he's never called us to settle for less than his best. Elisha died and he was buried. But let's keep reading. It's said groups of Moabite raiders, and it's tough to keep up with the raiders. They've been in L.A. and then in Oakland and then L.A. and then Las Vegas, and now here they're in Moab. But groups of Moabite raiders used to to invade the land each spring. So when did they invade the land? In the spring. In the spring, where things are coming to life. Uh, Spring is where things begin to bloom. It's where we begin to get hope again. The winter's over. Isn't it funny that the enemy attacks us right when we're about to to have a breakthrough? Right when we're about to experience new life? So here comes the raiders. And it says, once when some Israelites were burying a man. You know, now we've all been to a funeral and they're solemn occasions, right? Even when we rejoice because we know that person's gone home to, to be with the Lord, like it's still solemn, so I'm just imagining this scene. These Israelites were taking their friend and, and we're gonna call him Frank. Um, I don't know if that's his name, but, um, but that's what we're gonna call him. So Frank is dead and his friends are taking him to, to bury the body. And I bet they're doing like, like we do at a funeral and they're telling stories about Frank and hey, I'm gonna miss Frank. And it's a pretty solemn occasion. And then the text says, they spied a band of these raiders so, so they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha. And fled. Man, Frank, we're gonna miss you. Oh no, and gone. They're out. And I started thinking about that. What are some of the main areas that the enemy tries to come in and, and raid in our lives? Christian, non-Christian. What, what area does, does the enemy wanna raid? And I come up with a couple, there, there are more than this. But the first one is faith and confidence. I like think one of the, the most intimidating thing for the enemy is for a follower of Christ to be filled with faith and confidence. Can I just be honest and, and put my cards on the table? Isn't it difficult some days to have great faith? To know that God is in control? Yeah, I remember the first time I ever went to a Starbucks. I was at the North American Christian Convention with some friends and one of them said, hey, let's, we wanna go get some coffee? And my answer is always yes to that question. I always wanna get coffee. And now up to that point, every time I ordered coffee in my life, it was very simple. Like I would walk up to the counter and say, I'd like a black coffee, please. they would say, okay, that'll be a dollar or something like that. Like it was easy. My friend didn't tell me what to expect. So we walked in and there were people everywhere. And I've never seen that in a coffee shop before. And I walked up to the barista and I didn't even know that was a word. Like, and I said, I want a small coffee. And she said, so one tall coffee. I said, no, I want a small coffee. She said, small is tall. I said, no, it's not. She said, sir, we we use the Italian terms. Would you like a shot of espresso in that? And I said, sure. Would you like sugar? No. Well, we have uh, raw sugar and we have cane sugar and we have Splenda and we have Sweet and Low and we have Agave sugar and like, I don't want any sugar they was like, well, would you like any cream in it? I was like, nope, I just want a black. Well, we have whole milk, 2% milk, skim milk. We have avocado milk. I don't even know what they had. But no, I don't want any milk. And then she said, that'll be $5. And I said, I'm just buying mine. I'm not buying everybody else's. Like, it robbed me of my faith and my confidence in ordering coffee. You know, the same way that Cracker Barrel always robs me of my confidence when I play that stupid golf tee game in there and I end up as an ignoramus. Like, the world's trying to tear us down. And the last thing the enemy wants for us is to have faith that God can do the impossible, faith that he can do miracles. You know how I know that that our our faith is under attack and our confidence is under attack? By the prayers we pray. He can do the impossible, and we're praying for a parking space at Walmart. And let's be honest, we need the steps in anyway. Like, why do we pray like that? And I'm not preaching to you, I'm learning with you. Why do we pray such weak prayers? It's because the enemy has raided our faith and our confidence that God can do the impossible. If God said 28, he didn't mean 27. We don't settle for God's as God's children. The second thing that the enemy tries to steal or raid from us is our ambition. And now this is where I'm gonna have to talk to you about the the great American lie. Ready, We, we tell our children that, hey, you can do anything you wanna do and you can be anything you wanna be if you just believe in yourself and try really hard. Don't that sound great? Set your kids up for failure. And I know some people you're pushing back and you're thinking, I believe that. Have you watched the auditions for American Idol or Americans Got Talent? Like somebody told that boy he could sing, somebody told him he could dance, and he went on national television and made an idiot out of, an idiot out of himself. Because someone told him, you know what, son, if you believe in yourself and you try really hard, you can do whatever you want. It's the same with me. If someone told me, hey, if you just believe in yourself and try really hard, you can be a baseball player, I'd be broke. I don't have any hand-eye coordination and I have very little athletic ability. I guess It's amazing. So while it's not true that we can do anything that we want, let me tell you what is true. You can do exactly what God called you to do. And listen to me. Don't miss this. God created you to do way more than this world expects of you. God created you to do and to accomplish way more than anyone else ever expects of you. You can do immeasurably more through him. So we shouldn't let the enemy steal our ambition. You know, another organization that's under attack against ambition is the church. Like, it's okay for businesses to wanna grow. It's okay to wanna grow your 401k and grow your farm, but you find a church that wants to reach people and we will do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God and, and bring them close to him, somehow you get labeled as a bad church or an unscriptural church. Like, if it's, a, if it's okay, Tesla wants to put a man on Mars, like, that's great. Let me make you a promise. What Tesla and Amazon and Apple, all that they're doing, that's fine. In 100 years, though, they're going to be in the history books, and we'll move we'll moved on, no matter what they're doing. But in 100 years, what the church is doing today is going to affect the lives of millions and millions of people, and it's going to matter for eternity. So I think we need to dream big. The other thing the enemy wants to steal from us is our relationships. Now, this COVID-19 thing has, has affected some relationships. You know, some of you men, you used to tell people that you loved your children, and You did. Until you were locked in the house with them for weeks and weeks. In 20 years, listen, we're going to be in trouble because we're all going to have homeschooled children, homeschooled by daydreamers. Like people have gotten mean during this whole thing. No one can get along. You can't even have a civil conversation with anyone about anything. Isn't it hard to, to love people sometimes? I mean, it's hard. We all have people in our phones right now that when they text us or they call us, we're like, yeah. And then there are people when they text us or call us, we think about throwing our phone out the window. Like, man, I need to change my number. Let me tell you about the enemy. He's gonna come after the relationships that are closest to you. Your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your closest friends. He's gonna come after them. These guys in the story, they're burying their friend. And the enemy came and and they just left him. They just abandoned him. Gone. So what do you do when you're in a situation when you feel like you were promised 28 and you're at 27 and you can't see 28? What do you do when you feel like the raiders have come against you? What do you do if you're like Frank and you've been abandoned by all your friends? You've been forgotten and, and you've been buried. When you feel like you're buried and you have no hope, and listen, I believe with all my heart that God wanted someone to hear this this week. You haven't been buried, you've been planted. So when you're buried, you're forgotten. When you're planted, you're actually cared for and nurtured. While for some of you, don't, you don't feel like you've been cared for or nurtured, listen, just remember that God grows some incredible things in the dark. If you've been buried, you begin to, to decompose. If you've been planted, you are bringing forth life. If you're buried, you're you're forgotten. If you're planted, listen, you can't be ignored because you're gonna break through the ground one day. There's someone listening today and you feel like you've been buried. You feel like you've been forgotten. You feel like you've been alone. And I'm here to tell you that you haven't been buried, that you've been planted. You may be thinking there's no way 28 can happen because he's dead. But the scripture tells us this, 2 Kings 13, 21. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Like, I love that. As soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, listen, not the body of Elisha, it says the bones. They'd been there for a while. It seems like, like this was not gonna come true. But listen, God promised 28 and he was gonna get 28. He died at 27, but listen, God's promise still came true. God said, hey, if I, if I said I was gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. Like it may seem impossible it may seem too late, but listen, God saying, Man, I'm gonna be good to my word. And I love this. It says, as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the man revived and jumped to his feet. He didn't say, Hey, I'm just gonna lay here with the dead people. Like I've been forgotten, my friends abandoned me, they just ran off. I went through some tough times. I'm just gonna stay in here. Like I love this guy, he wasn't the victim. He jumped to his feet and he said, I'm alive. I was dead, but, but I'm alive. I was lost, but, but I'm found. He didn't even care that the raiders were coming. He said, I died once, I'll die again. My God will keep bringing me back because I serve a God that can do the impossible. And I'm telling you, if God can do it for this guy, he can do it for you. He can do it for me. Like there are some people here and you're listening and you should have been in the hospital today. You, you should have been in the ground today. You should have been in another place, but God has brought you back to life. You've not been buried, you've been planted. And at the end of the day, he really does turn graves into gardens. Yeah, I love that story. But it brings me back around to the New Testament where God turned another grave into a garden. When Jesus was crucified and he was put into the ground and into the tomb, everyone thought it was over. All of his friends ran and and hid. But then something amazing happened that Sunday morning. The stone on the tomb was rolled away and Jesus came walking out. And that place today is known as the the garden tomb. See, God has a history of turning graves into gardens. And that's what he wants to do in your life. And each week, we have an opportunity to to celebrate that. See, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, that that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the mark that that God has set for us. And and what we deserve is, is a grave. But Jesus endured that death, that crucifixion, that time in the grave so that we wouldn't have to pay that price. And God turned that grave into a garden. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. That's why we have an opportunity today, as Todd told you earlier, to get your communion supplies together. As we end the service today, I just want to, to end on that note. That, that as you take that that piece of bread or cracker or whatever you have that represents the body of Christ, that you will know that, that God's going to be true to his word, even to the point that he would send his son Jesus to die for you. And so when the enemy comes to steal your faith or to, to steal your ambition or to, to, to destroy your relationships, know that that's all been paid for. It's all been covered. And then as you take that, that juice that represents his blood that, that was poured out. So blood had to be, be spilt for our forgiveness to know that it's completely gone. You know, last week, we talked about a house where, where shame has no name. Because of the blood, you don't have to live in shame. And for so many of us, that's what's preventing us from becoming a garden. That's what's preventing our lives from bringing forth life in other people it is that, that shame that we hold on to. Because you take that cup that represents his blood know that because of that, there's no shame. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful today. God, we're thankful that you can take graves and, and turn them into gardens. And not only did you do it uh, once, but you've done it a couple of times in the scripture. God, we're thankful that you're always true to your word, even when it seems like that it, it may not be possible, that it, that it may not happen. God, for some people, we're on, we're on 27 and it feels like you've gone quiet. Father, I pray that you'd give us the faith that 28's coming. Some people listening, God, they're on number one and they don't even know what, what the future looks like. But my prayer today is that their faith and their confidence would be restored in you. That they would see your faithfulness and continue to walk day in and day out, even when it gets tough. Father, today I'm thankful for for your love for us, that you would send your one and only son, Jesus, to die for us. That even though we were sinners and even though we fell short, God, you loved us enough to pay the penalty of death for us. And because of that, you don't want sin, you don't want want that death in our lives. And you've given us a way out through him. In his name that I pray. Thanks again for joining us uh, this morning online. Uh, Remember to stay tuned um, this week to find out when we'll be meeting in person uh, again. Have a great day.